For some Christians, the text from John 14 is essential content. They say the text is about heaven, Jesus going to prepare a place for us, those heavenly mansions. And it tells us exactly how to get there. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus. While these exclusive sounding words provide great comfort for some, they trouble other Christians. And because of their narrow exclusivism, the words offend and alienate many, both inside and outside the church. We're in, you're out, we've got it, you don't, it's our way or the highway. An increasing number of people find arrogance and rejection in this kind of evangelism, not a message of love. So as we begin today, let me go ahead and get this elephant out of the room. There is another way to read this text and others like it. I keep reminding you, it was the self-assured religious leaders, the religious insiders, for whom Jesus reserved his most consistent and harsh criticism. If we think we and only we are in, Jesus seems to say we're already halfway out. The message does sound clear, though, doesn't it? Jesus is the only way. Everyone else must be out. How else could you read that text? After the terrorist attacks of 9-11 and the focus that turned to extremist religion, Dr. Charles Kimball, then at Wake Forest Divinity School, wrote his insightful book, When Religion Becomes Evil. I've recommended this book a hundred times of such exclusive-sounding scriptures, Dr. Kimball says, a human view of truth, one that is dynamic and relational. It's important. Everybody's view of truth is not dynamic and relational. A human view of truth that is dynamic and relational enables religious people to affirm foundational truths without solidifying the words into absolute propositional statements. He makes clear there's a great danger in the supposed literal reading Christians think they apply to the Bible. I also keep reminding you there is no such thing as a literal reading. Every reading is interpreted. Thou shalt not kill, self-defense, war, thou shalt not kill, period. Everyone interprets, even the simplest of our text. But of that supposed literal reading, Kimball says, literalism is dangerous. It indulges the reader in the fanciful notion that by virtue of natural intelligence, the text is apprehensible, sensible. Meaning is determined only by what the reader takes out of the text. Thus, what the reader thinks is there becomes not merely the reader's opinion, but the will of God with all the implications of that. The second danger is that the power of private judgment may well obscure the meaning of the text by paying attention only to what it says and not to its broader context. And then Charles Kimball quotes a Methodist minister named Wesley Ariaraja who says of our text for today, I am the way, the truth, the life. Here we're not dealing with the here we are dealing with the language of faith and love. The language of faith and love. The problem begins when we turn these words into absolute truths on the basis of which we begin to measure the truth or otherwise of other faith claims. 
These are words of faith and love. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The words of the church's devotion and commitment to Jesus. As our friend, the late Dr. Gene Owens of Myers Park Baptist said it, these are not the literal words of Jesus. These are the literal words of the writer of John's gospel who spoke for his church, perhaps writing 70 years after Jesus' death. And John, for his community, said he is our way, our truth, our life. He is the only way we can understand God. So here now the way the church, through a writer named John, told the Jesus story as they began to speak of Jesus as the way in their own context, even as John put that truth in the mouth of Jesus. John says, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas, who was always honest, said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater things than these. We can voice these words, affirm their message, celebrate their truth completely, without ever having to condemn anyone whose circumstances and experience differ from ours. And what is more, quite possibly the church could have avoided all the charges of being so narrow-minded and judgmental, the charge of systemic hypocrisy, if we had focused on the way of Jesus more than the worship of Jesus. Now, I don't need to tell you how much a fan of words I am and how much I believe we can learn from studying them Sometimes looking at a text through the lens of another language opens new vistas of understanding. Our friend Stan Dotson, who has spent several years living in Cuba, learning the ways of Cuban life and the Cuban people, reminded us this past Wednesday night that the Spanish word for way is el camino, which means road or trail. But camino comes from the verb caminar, to walk. So he says, you can translate this verse, I am the walk. Yo soy el camino. I am the walk. It's tragic how consistently the church has affirmed religion through Jesus without really walking with him, without living in solidarity with the poor, without welcoming the outcast without challenging the systems of power, without living sacrificially, without a vital thirst for the presence and the justice of God in our lives, not just in our sanctuaries. Imagine how that kind of walk could change the church today. And then Stan reminds us that the common greeting in Cuba is, como andamos, how are we walking? 
They don't say, where are you going? How long did it take you to get there? Did you take the right path? Did you walk with the right people? And they don't say, how are you walking? They ask, how are we walking? Not me, but us. Not mine, but ours. Faith ought always to be spoken in the plural. So maybe Park Road Baptist Church ought to adopt a new slogan. What if we challenged one another, even as we greeted one another, how are we walking? What is it that our neighbors and friends, what is it that little Hayes and Reese will understand about faith from us? Is it the way we talk or the way we walk? What will the city of Charlotte see in us? Just another religious institution seeking desperate self-preservation in these anxious days? Or in our way of walking the faith, in our community of care, in our commitments and convictions, in our ways, can they see the way, the way of Jesus? Park Road Baptist Church, how are we walking? May it be so. For those of you that are visiting today, you may um, not have experienced what I've been doing. I started on Maundy Thursday night, and um, I have brought the person of Martha into all of the scenes through uh, Maundy Thursday and Easter Sunday and now through the season of Eastertide, I have tried to picture what the experience of listening to Jesus would have been like as someone not included in the 12 that we always hear so much about, believing that surely there were other people listening in. So Martha has made her way. Uh, Jesus invited her to recline with them at dinner at the Last Supper in my imagination. Uh, she was at the empty tomb in my imagination. She's been several different places and today she shows up today having heard this that Russ just read to you. It, as it so happens, John 14, 12, the second part of that text is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. So Martha had to show up for that. Hindsight is so 2020. None of us knew it then. But all of this talk of I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to God except by me, through me, in me, was his way of preparing all of us for the end of his life. But we could never let ourselves believe it. Yes, we knew on some cognitive level that he would not live forever, but a girl can hope, can't she? This was his pep talk for all of us. Most folks think this extended speech was reserved for just the closest crew, but there were others of us there on the periphery listening in. Looking back, it makes so much sense, but at the time, we were just living in our usual state of perpetual cluelessness. I can see so clearly that he was simply trying to keep us laser-focused. We were so easily distracted. Kind of like squirrel, if you know what I mean. Attentiveness, persistence, steadfastness. These were not our strong suits, and Jesus knew it. So he tried to keep it simple. Way, truth, 
life. Got it. I could hear some of the others repeating this part to try to memorize it. A few were taking notes, the ones that had some abilities with reading and writing, meager as they were. Now, I don't want to brag, but I think I was better at listening to the whole of his message than some. My sister Mary had been known for sitting at his feet and taking in every word, but that doesn't mean she understood more than I did. You see, I tend to listen better and more intently when I'm doing something else. So that day, I was there and listening, but I was multitasking too. When we all gather, I tend to bring snacks. So I was constantly refilling the trays, gathering up the empty plates, making sure everything was going smoothly. But never mistake that for not listening. I did not miss a word of what he had to say. As a matter of fact, while everyone was stuck memorizing about way, truth, life, I discovered that they missed the most important part of what Jesus was trying to tell us that day. What he said was so radical so huge and so impossible and everyone just kind of glossed over it because they were so desperate to get the way right that they missed exactly how to understand all about the way they were also bickering in hushed sidebars about who was in and who was out because Jesus had said something about no one comes to God except through him now I'm quite sure Jesus didn't mean for this to become the end-all, be-all saying to define the insiders and outsiders for all time. But you know how people are. They love any opportunity to play judge and jury with other people's lives. So I'm going to tell you what he said that blew my mind. And if you aren't too distracted by the whole who's in, who's out game, I think it's going to blow your mind too. Though Jesus didn't make the direct correlation, you had to be listening, listening closely to catch that. It seems pretty obvious that just a few sentences after using the term, I am the way, he tells us exactly what the way is and where it leads. He said, you will do the works I do. Now, I guess he was talking about feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, healing the sick, because that was the kind of stuff he was doing left and right everywhere he went. So the way must have to do with that kind of stuff. But then he said, and y'all hold on to your seats for this part. Then he said, and I quote, that we would do even greater works than these. I don't even know what that means or what that would even look like. And frankly, it scared me. And so I stopped cold in my tracks. I stopped picking up the empty plates and my body slowly just folded down until I was sitting on the floor staring right at Jesus, though I think I was looking right through him. The way is going to mean that we will do even greater works than Jesus did. Now, he clearly saw something in all of us that we couldn't see in ourselves because I'm going to tell you, he had assembled a pretty motley crew of folks. And I don't mean to be too judgmental and too harsh, 
But I couldn't see in us what he saw in us. And I didn't believe in us the way he believed in us. But then it dawned on me, we, me, little old Martha, we could be the way that he lived forever. A girl can hope, can't she? Oh, my soul. 